0: Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. I encourage you every Sunday as you see the kids, uh, go out to pray for them, pray for those that are investing in them. Uh, These are really formative times. If you didn't grow up in church, um, you may not know, but like the... The people that are investing in the children are investing in the future of the church, and they're planting gospel seeds. And so, uh, what is happening in those rooms over there is just as important as what's happening here in the main worship center. So, appreciate everybody that serves in that in that ministry. So, we've been in this uh, series "Kingdom Come" for a bit now, and one of the questions that we might ask, and you can kind of see the subtitle here, what happens when we let Jesus rule and reign? One of the questions we can ask that's really similar to that is, where is your allegiance? Now, maybe you don't ever use that word, allegiance. Uh, maybe you remember it, uh, when even saying that word, you think of the pledge of allegiance, right? Like most of us said in school. I, I think they still do that in school. I'm not sure. Um, But the idea of allegiance is uh, that we are under something that we are committed to, that we are, um, we have bought into the the values of, we support the ideology of, whatever it would be. And as I was thinking of an example for this, uh, a real kind of base level cultural example would be our sports fandom, right? Like, we're, we're devoted to it, we're, we're all in, we're supportive, uh, something could happen uh, within the team, uh, and we're still, we're not going to waver from our commitment to them. When I was a kid, I was a big baseball fan, and we didn't have cable TV, and so the only way I could watch my San Francisco, or connect with my San Francisco Giants was to listen on the radio. And those of you that are baseball fans, you know baseball games are long. And a little slow at times. I was talking to Sylvia this morning. The Mariners won one to zero. So it's, sometimes baseball is like soccer, except for twice as long. <laughs> the same amount of action. So I have vivid memories of laying in my bed on top of my covers, listening to the Giants play from 7 p.m. till 10 p.m. at night for three hours. Uh, I was a really committed baseball fan. They were terrible when I was a kid in the 80s. <laughs> And uh, in, the, in the 2000s, they started to get a little bit better. They had this player named Barry Bonds. And even if our team lost, Barry was going to hit three home runs, and it was going to be exciting. It was going to be an exciting game. Uh, around that time in the early 2000s, there was this home run race between two guys named Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And they were battling it out for the most home runs in a, in a, year, in a season. And it turned out that both of them were doing something illegal. They were taking steroids, and it rocked the whole baseball world, and then all of these other players that were at the top of their game got exposed, and if you weren't a fan of those teams, man, you were angry. You were upset. Meanwhile, my baseball team started to get better, and Barry Bonds then was started to compete for that same baseball record just a couple years later. And the angst that I had towards McGuire and Sosa wasn't the same as Bonds, even though it seemed that he was also partaking in illegal substances. And the reason it wasn't the same for me is because I was fully devoted to this team. My allegiance was as a San Francisco Giant. So all of the same critiques I had for the Cardinals and the Cubs, man, they didn't apply because this was my team. This was my hero of a baseball player. And if we're honest, we do this, right, without even, sometimes without even knowing it. Uh, we have a set of values that we live by. And if other people aren't living by those values, man, we notice it. We call it out. We say it's unrighteous and wrong. But if our people stumble and fall and don't participate in those same values the way that we think they should, oh, well, we rationalize and we say, hey, he's who's without sin cast the first stone. And what this betrays for us is that Sometimes we have an allegiance in something to the extent that we are blinded, that we are willing to sacrifice our values to maintain that allegiance. And so this morning, we're going to talk about a very specific uh, issue, really, and and theme in our culture uh, that I think betrays a lot of allegiances. And what we're going to do is what we've been doing is we're going to hold that up, that allegiance up next to the kingdom of God, and we're going to ask ourselves, how does my faith and my participation in God's kingdom influence all of my allegiances? But particularly the one we're going to focus on this morning is our political allegiance. And so I'm going to pray this morning for us that we might hear clearly from the Holy Spirit and that in a very divided culture and time that we might be united around the grace of Jesus. Would you join with me in that? Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, I thank you that this morning in this room, there are people that weren't born in this country that are worshiping with us. There are people that are as local as it gets that have lived in rent in their entire life that are worshiping with us. There are sports fans of different persuasions. There are Democrats and Republicans. There are native English speakers and speakers of other tongues. Lord, in this place, there is a tangible demonstration of what your kingdom does that it calls people no matter where they at no matter who they are into a new family into a new kingdom where you are king and we lord are doing our best to follow you and so as we consider our allegiance this morning I pray that we would come away from our time more encouraged more unified and with a sense of your spirit leading us Would you give us your peace this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if you've noticed, but as we've been walking through this uh, kind of series on the kingdom of God, we keep going back to Genesis. And we keep going back to this original design that God had for all of creation. And it was good, and it was beautiful, and it was perfect. God's design is like that. And so as we've looked at these various topics and we've looked especially at our identity, we know that we're made in the image of God. It's a beautiful thing to be reminded of. So we've started there in so many of our messages. And Pastor Caleb did this last week uh, as he talked about work. But then we also have to address the effects of sin. And what happened there in the garden is a rejection of God's design and how sin has continued to affect creation since then. And then that sin sets the table for the gospel of Jesus, for this redeeming work that God, even though he was rejected, never gave up, that he pursued humanity and that he made a way for us to be reconciled with him, to know him and to to be loved by him. And so here we are as a people shaped by the gospel of Jesus and we believe this gospel, we're being led by this gospel, but in a sense we still live in the tension of two realities in our world today. The first is our identity as redeemed sons and daughters. That's so true about all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus. That we have been redeemed and that we are members of his kingdom. So that's the truest thing for those of us that have placed our faith in him. But there's this other reality is that the kingdom of God hasn't fully come yet. And so we are as Paul says resident aliens in a world that is still under the effects of sin do you feel that tension of course you do our allegiances pull us away from that identity as a father or as a son and daughter of Christ our own remaining sin that Jesus is still working out of us is a reminder of that tension and if you're on social media, you're reminded of that tension every time you log on. So this morning, we're going to discuss someone that something that everyone says you're not supposed to do. In fact, there's this kind of uh, catchphrase or like this little kitschy thing that people say when you go to family gatherings. You're never supposed to discuss two things: religion and politics. Right. So we're going to discuss both of those this morning. Doesn't that sound fun? But let's, let's briefly acknowledge something that may already be stirring in you, even if I say the word politics. First of all, some of us have been taught this, that we have to keep these two things separate. And so I acknowledge that. Some of you are like, wait a second, the, the two shall never meet. <laughs> They're completely different things. Some of us uh, have made, maybe don't agree with that. Instead, we've made our political affiliation a central part of our identity. And for many Christians, that means that religion and politics aren't separate at all. They're actually married together. And then there's another reality that we need to acknowledge before we talk about this, is some of you want nothing to do with politics. And so the fact that this is even a topic today is making you want to get up and leave this room, or those of you are online, log off. And I understand that. But I also want us to to be real here and realize what a useless thing the Christian faith would be if it didn't affect every aspect of our lives. What a useless thing it would be if the gospel of Jesus was only for certain parts of our culture, of our behavior, of our values. And so as we continue in the Kingdom Come series, I want us to push into the tension of being resident aliens, of being kingdom citizens. And over these next few weeks as we finish this series, I want us to look at some of the important issues of our culture. Because if we don't talk about that here in the family of God, what we're doing essentially is saying, I will let everybody else disciple me on these issues. My school, media, friends on social media, whatever it would be. And so if the church doesn't talk about these, man, we are missing something that's so important, how to connect real life to real faith. I saw a quote the other day that made me really think. The quote, the quote was this. I've seen a lot of people leave their church because it doesn't match their political party. I've rarely seen anyone leave their political party because it doesn't match their church. I wonder why this is. I thought that was a good question to ask. And again, I think it's a question of allegiance. What are we being formed by? So again, I acknowledge that each of us is coming here this morning with different ideas of how we should or should not engage with politics. Let's acknowledge a few things that are also true in our culture right now. I think none of us would debate that right now we live in a politically divided country. Now, I won't make the claim this is the most divided we've ever been because I've read history. There was this thing called the Civil War. But certainly for anyone or for most of us that are sitting in this room, especially as Americans, this may be the most we've ever been divided politically in our lifetime. I was talking to my dad about this, who's about to turn 76, and he said, yeah, you know, he, he lived through the Civil Rights Movement and the, he was an old hippie protesting war, but he can't remember even then being as divided as it is now. So that's one truth. And connected to that truth is this division that we're feeling and that we're seeing is literally tearing our country apart. It's stoking fear and conspiracies. And I think all of us, and see how toxic it has been. But despite all this, we can't avoid the truth that politics matter. The leaders of our country make decisions that affect everyone's lives, and this has always been true. So, our question today is as kingdom people trying to follow Jesus, how do we engage with the politics? of our culture. I'll give you a hint right up front, not on Facebook. As we've looked at this theme of the kingdom of God, one of the key themes that we've pulled from the scriptures has been found in Jesus' prayer. We call it the model prayer or the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is one of the guiding prayers for us as believers. And so with this in mind, we might ask a few questions through this lens, through this prayer. As we think about politics, are we praying this prayer? As we engage with politics and policies and laws and are viewing them as a potential, are we viewing them as a potential for this prayer to be answered? Could God work through those things to accomplish his purposes? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The the first few chapters of the Bible are this amazing picture of God's creation and his design and this close relationship that he desires to have with humanity. But unfortunately, because of sin, that original design gets corrupted and broken, and because of sin the original relationship we were intended to have with an all-loving, powerful, and gracious God has now been swapped. It's, that relationship's been exchanged, and instead of God as Father, as King, guess who we get now as that? You, me. We, we put ourselves in that position. We say, forget you, God. We're in charge now. We'll run this place. What could possibly go wrong with that? Have you ever realized how central politics are to the story of Scripture? Maybe you don't use the term politics, Let's, but again, when we say politics, we're thinking of leaders and authority and people who make decisions and laws and policies that affect the people. Have you ever considered how central the politics are to the story of Scripture? Very central, actually. Well, one of my favorite political stories is found in the last third of the book of Genesis. Not long after sin has entered the world, we see this man named Joseph elected to second in command of all Egypt. And with the guidance of God, this leader, number two in all the kingdom of Egypt, saves thousands and thousands of people's lives. Not just of Egypt, but of its neighbors as well. He literally develops a social welfare program That would allow the country to survive a historic famine so right here we see how politics how leaders matter in the story of god and in this case it was a godly leader one that was called by god and ordained by god put in a specific position for that time so when we think of politics it's not all bad god Still works with his people. His grace is still evident with us messed up humans who have rejected him. And so we know leaders and policies matter. If you were to look it up in the Bible, you'd find the word king is mentioned over 2,500 times. We might, that might stick out to us more as a political thing if it was the word president. But it's the equivalent of that, right? And we actually have two books of the Bible labeled what? Kings, first kings, second kings. And so the Old Testament has story after story of kings, judges, and various rulers all leading out of their brokenness and out of their sin. Some are better than others. We contrast Saul with David. Some start off making wise decisions and end up being corrupted. But regardless, there is no escaping that kings, rulers, and their policies affected the ancient world just as they do today. One of the most poignant stories in the Old Testament is found in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And in this story, the people of God are being led by a prophet who is speaking on God's behalf, the prophet Samuel. And the people of God are looking around the nations and saying, Man, they all have kings. Sure, it would be nice to have a king. And so they petition Samuel, Would you ask God to give us a king? And Samuel's distraught by this and he goes to God in prayer. And he says, This is what they want. And God speaks to Samuel, and he says something so poignant. He says, we'll give them what they want. But no, it's not you that they're rejecting, Samuel. It's me. And so the story unfolds from there through the Old Testament. of God's people rejecting him, God giving them what they want. And so this is the world we live in today, a world that has rejected the kingship of God, and every generation and every nation since has had rulers and has people in countries, people in authorities that have made decisions that have radically influenced the people under that authority. Some good and some devastating. But it's here we also note that just because God hasn't, has been rejected, that doesn't mean he has lost his authority. He is still king. Psalm 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 7, 10 says this, The Lord reigns forever. He has established His throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know Your name trust in You. For You, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek You. This is who we have allegiance to. King of the universe. So just as as much as humanity has rejected God, God has never moved from his position. He has never changed in his character. This is the description of a king. Rejected maybe, but still a king. So we see this picture in the Old Testament of brokenness and of the human institutions and structures that reflect that brokenness, but God continues to pursue his people, continues to be who he is. So then we move forward and we ask the question, well, what about Jesus then? What's his part in all of this? A, a huge part of my parents' generation were these, this young, anti-establishment, kind of peace-loving, dope-smoking hippies. That, that made Jesus in their own image, right? They saw, the, they saw the white surfer Jesus image, and they're like, hey, he's wearing sandals and has long hair. Sounds good. We can get behind that. And, and they thought of Jesus as they thought of themselves. You know, other than Jesus having an, an occasional temple sit in, man, Jesus definitely wasn't political, right? Except that he was. <laughs> Matthew 4.17 From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The hearers in Jesus' time would have understood this as an announcement of a coming King. You could even say this is a political proclamation. And what does Jesus say when He encounters people that He wants to follow Him? If you feel like it, or you can vote for it. no. No. Follow me. Let's go. And and listen to what Jesus even says about himself. Caleb read this last week. Luke 4, 18-19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If there was a policy platform that Jesus was running on, which he's not. But if there was, this would be it, right? This would be on his website. This is what I've come to do. So Jesus is king, and the kingdom is coming, and things are going to change. These were radical statements in Jesus' time. Now, to be sure, this declaration is primarily spiritual in nature, but it's not limited to that because what is the result of spiritual transformation? Outward living. When we've received this grace, then it affects the the way we live. It affects our affections and our allegiances. That's what repenting does. It's a change of mind, and behavior follows that. A, A while back, I gave you two fancy words for this. Orthodoxy, which means right belief, and orthopraxy, which means right conduct. And this is what we have to consider in our politically divided age. Does my belief match my values? Do my values match my decisions? And ultimately, as followers of God, what kingdom do I belong to? So the politics of Jesus are very different. Unlike a king who sits on a throne, Jesus doesn't have one when he's on earth. In fact, he never hangs out in a place uh, like up on a hill commanding authority. Instead, he's always with the people. And often those who most need to hear the good news of the kingdom that he is preaching. These are people who have either been failed by human institutions and kingdoms or they have been seduced by them. But either way, they are lost. And Jesus is coming to set them free. And Jesus is coming to save them. And he's promising this saving not through legislation or war or even financial prosperity. No, Jesus' saving is an offer to be reunited with God. To be restored to the relationship God desires to have with his people From the beginning. And let me tell you this very clearly. If you look for that saving anywhere else, you will be let down. Your favorite political leader, your favorite pastor, your favorite sports star, your relationship. You will be let down if you look to be saved and redeemed and solidified in your identity. If you look for those things anywhere else but Jesus so our prayer is, as a, as a people that are called by God, our prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's in this prayer we find the tension that we live in today. It's an already and a not yet tension. Jesus has already come, he's already called us to repentance, and he's invited us into his kingdom. And if you've responded to him, you are participating in that kingdom right now. The way you live and love and perceive the world around you is as a citizen of the kingdom. But it's also a not yet reality. Paul captures this pretty well in Philippians where he says, But our citizenship is in heaven And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So in many ways, we are resident aliens on this earth. Our true citizenship isn't American. That's just where we live now as we wait for Jesus to return and bring full restoration to God's design for creation. But in the meantime, we get to participate. We get to participate in the already and yet the not quite happening yet. So the big question is, how does our kingdom identity affect our political participation? Underneath the seats, there is a voting guide that you can pull out. No, I'm just kidding. Did y'all really... Now, I'm joking, but some churches might do that, right? Maybe some of you are part of a church like that. What what I'm not going to do as we close this out is tell you how to vote, tell you your party is better than another party. What I want us to do is say, how does the values of the kingdom affect our political engagement? And I don't have all the answers, and this is a huge topic, but I want to give us kind of four things to consider. And then what I want us to do is have a conversation. I want us to make this a part of how we wrestle with our faith, how we work out this faith. And I want us to realize, before before I go into these four things, that in this room there is political disagreement. Yet, we all have been worshiping together. And that's a sign that our primary allegiance, at least in this space, is in the right spot. I can't speak for your social media feed or for the conversations you have or the friends that you have, but at least in this space, we see an aspect of heaven come down. Every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping together. So, again, the big question is how does our kingdom identity affect our political participation? The first thing we have to consider who do we belong to? This is another way to say where's our allegiance? As followers of Jesus, we don't belong to the elephant or the donkey, but to the lamb. We don't belong to the elephant or the donkey, but to the lamb. Our primary allegiance is to Jesus and his kingdom. And when the values of the two kingdoms are opposed to each other, we should notice when God's kingdom and this earthly kingdom, when they are in conflict, we should notice. And we should not be afraid to point it out. Whether it's Barry Bonds or Mark McGuire. And if we feel the tension of politics pulling us away from the ways of Jesus, we should step back. We should not run blindly following our political party I should have included libertarian, but I don't know what animal they use, sorry. And let me say this, it's okay to be patriotic. At a base level, being patriotic just means that you love your country. And you know what? I do. I've I've traveled to more countries than I have states. And I love where I live. I love where God has called me to be. It's okay to be patriotic. Don't feel guilty on the 4th of July to launch some fireworks and barbecue some meat. It's okay to love your country. But, (laughs) you knew there was going to be one, right? Our patriotism should be driven by our biblical convictions. We should love our country like the Bible informs us to love, with grace, With compassion. I love my country and I want what's best for her, but at the end of my life, I don't want the thing that's most remembered about me to be my political allegiance, but my allegiance to Christ. Number two, we need to know that our political leaders are not enemies to be defeated, but people to pray for. One of the reasons we are so divided as a nation is because the posture we're taking towards those we disagree with. Uh, We think we're at war. They're the enemy. If they get their way, dot, dot, dot. And as soon as we buy into that cultural narrative, Jesus is removed from the throne. Because what we're saying effectively is saying, if my political party doesn't get their way, it's the end. And Jesus is going, hold on, time out. Have you read what happens at the end? Like, if things are terrible right now, don't worry, because at the end, everything is going to be made right. The righteous judge, the one that will judge with equity, is going to set all things straight. And so if you feel fear and anxiety coming up, if you view the the opposite political party as an enemy that is to be defeated, you are not understanding the values of the kingdom. Imagine if Jesus would have taken that posture when he was on earth. Everybody who is in sin, which is against God, is my enemy. They must be purged so that Everything can be made right. No, what Jesus did, he says, everybody who is opposed to me, I'm going to make a way for them to be my friend. And the way that I'm going to do that is by loving them, by sacrificing myself for them. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How does that posture affect the way that we view people we disagree? We can still love them. We can still disagree with them, too. But they are not an enemy to be defeated. They are a people to be prayed for. So as citizens of the kingdom, we need to have the mind of Christ as we engage with the political issues of our day. Titus 3, I think, is a great kind of centering verse for this says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. What if? What if on our political discourse we took these words seriously? What if we had the mind of Christ... Might that influence something in our political division today? This doesn't mean we don't speak the truth to power or stand against injustice, but it does give us a great model for how to participate. Sure, go ahead, share an occasional post on social media, but please don't be a partisan idiot, be a Christian. Demonstrate peace and love and grace. When somebody who disagree, who you ultimately disagree with says something positive, it's okay to point that out. Look, they did something good. Somebody you don't agree with. Like there's a way to engage in a way that, that brings unity and not division. Number three, we need to know either neither political party is completely aligned with God's kingdom values. Yeah, but those Democrats kill. No, neither political party. Yeah, but those Republicans hate. No, neither political party is completely aligned with God's kingdom values. We could spend the rest of the day talking about this one. And you know what the biggest reveal would probably be? When it comes to actual policy, we have been discipled more by our favorite political party and news media than we have by the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the result is there are far too many Christians employing the rhetoric of their political tribe than displaying the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, I would say there's far too many Christians that don't know the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, in case you're wondering. Then they do the platform of their political party and the hot button issues. And the evidence of this is in the fact that we don't have friends from across the political aisle. And our social media feed is full of toxic partisan language. And we scream how we're against one thing that is wrong while justifying something else that is equally wrong. And so we have a hard time saying abortion and racism are both issues of justice that God cares about. Without saying, but. And the fact that m- this even sounds controversial to some Christians could be a good indicator that our primary allegiance isn't to the kingdom of God, but to a toxic, partisan, political machine that is trying to make us in its own image. So we need to know that neither political party is completely aligned with God. God's kingdom values. And lastly, we need to know simply the way of the kingdom. As Christians, we're called to be prophetically kingdom oriented. And this will at times mean that we're too liberal for some conservatives and we're too conservative for some liberals. But you know what? That's not really the point either. The point is we want to be the people Jesus has called us to be. Not a voting block aligned with a party, but a prophetically compassionate people leading with gracious conviction. Those words are on purpose, so I'm going to say those again. We want to be a prophetically compassionate people leading with gracious conviction. It means that we can speak the truth in love, And we can also be very gracious in our convictions that we have and how we communicate those. In the longest sermon recorded in the Bible, Jesus looks at the people who are following him. This is right before he said to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. He looks at these people who are following him and he says this to them, and this is for us as we close. He says, you are the salt of the earth, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So as we engage with politics and policies and laws, as we vote, as we, as we have conversations at our dinner table, as we throw up posts on our social media, however you do it, we are called to be salt and light. We are called to add. We are called to illuminate. And we do this so that God may get the glory, not a movement or a law or a donkey or an elephant. So as we consider what it means to be a kingdom-oriented church, we might ask a few questions in closing. What are our deeds going to be? What are our actions going to look like? And my hope is that we would be a people that engage with compassion and Conviction. it we be able to lead out of this new kingdom way. We might ask, what will our words reflect or the things that we type or text or whatever? I pray that they would reflect a desire to be a peacemaker and to stand also against injustice. What prayers will we pray for our nation? I pray that Our prayers would be, oh God, may your kingdom come. Your will be done in Renton as it is in heaven. In Washington as it is in heaven. May your will be done in America as it is in heaven. And Lord, if you would will, would you use me? Would you allow me to participate in your kingdom purposes here on earth? May that be our heart's cry. May we understand the good news of Jesus, how he has rescued and redeemed and saved us to be his people. And may our primary allegiance be to him in the days ahead. May the church be known as a force for unity and for peace. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.